Welcome to the show, everybody. We're going to be talking about sex education today. Ooh, sexy and education. I know a lot of you are like, I had a perfect sex education experience. Don't need to hear about it. Why would I want to hear about how perfect something is? Well, you might be surprised. Not everyone's shared your experience, and I think it's a fun conversation, even though you had just the best sex education health class imaginable. Yours just knocked it out of the park. Tell you what actually has been uh, knocking out of the park is stand-up science. I really appreciate all of your support. Thank you so much. We have sold out four out of four shows. I've done three of those shows at the time I'm recording this. I'm uh, heading out to do the fourth one, and they have been phenomenal. Uh, The first one had a lot of behind-the-scenes technical errors and things, and it was a little frazzled and still just had a fantastic time, and it's only gone up from there, and it will continue to only go up. I'll only get better as a host. I'll learn a lot about how to prep my guests more, and and it's been amazing. We had a surprise pop-in on Wednesday night from Hannibal Burris did a set on the show. So you never know what you're going to get on uh, stand-up science. It's been just absolutely fantastic. I'm on to something. So I've already booked, like like I said, sell out a show, rebook it, book another city. already done that with the three. Uh, I got Asheville, New York, and Boston uh, locked in. And just confirming the details will be on the site soon and rebooking all of those cities that have sold out as well. But if these next four go well, if, if you're listening to this uh, kind of shortly after it comes out, this is Des Moines, um, is coming up, and then Portland. And then the really, really big test is going to be Seattle, uh, because it's going to be the first comedy club, and that's about 200 seats too, so it'll be it'll be the largest venue. And then after that, Tacoma, Washington, I think, and it's, again, it's a club, and I think, uh, the, the club is like 350, 400 seats. So we'll, we'll really, uh, get a sense. I mean, I, I don't, if Tacoma doesn't sell out, if we don't sell out 400 seats on the first try, that's not, I'm not saying I'm not going to do it there, but if it does, my goodness, we will open the, uh, the floodgates and book this everywhere the floodgates of dates and book this everywhere and uh in fact we're already kind of working on that so the shows have already been two of them sold out uh, far in advance and and all of them have sold out so we're already looking into a bunch of cities all over the u.s so here's what you can do instead of just adding one city if uh des moines portland uh seattle tacoma sell out just imagine if we get those full that i'm going to say book uh what do i want to commit to what can i actually okay uh i'll i'll book five more for des moines selling out five more cities for portland selling out and five more for seattle selling out and if we sell out tacoma washington I will book 10 different cities, and we already have um, 20, 30 venues around the country we're looking into. We're just kind of waiting to see. Uh, some of the venues are already now a 100-seater is, is looking like it might be a little uh, a little small for this. 
good news. I don't know if it's just a uh, if it's just a fluke. This is it's it's promising. It's a little promising. There's little hope here. Uh, I'm I'm trying not to get carried away with things, but the quality of the show um, has been so phenomenal that I know that all the people that are there are going to. A lot of them didn't know what they were getting into, had no idea. A lot of you listeners that are even fans of mine have no idea if it's going to be a good show or not. But uh, and now I know rebooking this show, all of those people will know that it's a fantastic time and uh, and come out again and tell all their friends, etc. So you can go to shanemoss.com and fill out the email list. is a really good way to keep up with any of you that are on the email list, you'll notice that I don't spam people. I never send out e- emails. I think I sent out one for this. It's, probably, it's maybe the first one you've ever gotten from me. I think I've had an email list for like 10 years and I've sent out like three um, that that aren't like very specific to the city. Like I'll send one out when the documentary comes out next year. Uh, but I will not abuse that. I'm a human as well. Um, I don't like a bunch of spam emails either. I get it. Um, but, you know, trying to hustle, do the things that need to be done to fill rooms. And it's the surest way, even if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter or, or whatever else, you know, it's you got to count on checking in and following and making sure that I posted it. And that's adequate time for you and that uh, say a facebook ad or something reaches you which i had trouble with that with the the picture <laughs> for stand-up science how it has half of my normal face and half an anatomical face it got censored for being disturbing <laughs> a cartoon of my uh my face as an anatomical structure uh, was too shocking and disturbing and violent. The word violent got flagged for. I was able to clear some of it up, but like, who knows, you know, with, with, with some of that stuff, what happens and reaching people is just such an unknown. Even if you are just the biggest fan in the world and you want to see me all the time, that means you got to check in my site once a week and see if I've added dates and all that. It's just, it's not. It's not practical. It's just not uh, the reality of of how life works and how people check in with things. I hope you check my site all the time. Good for you. You check it more than I do then. Thank you very much. You're wonderful. You're my uh, extra super favorites. Sure. But so excited. Wanted to share the good news with you guys. You guys are fantastic. Thanks for spreading the word and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm recording at my home. This is this is like the second one ever that I've done. Actually, you're the first one at this residence, so uh, congratulations. Why, thank it's, you. Uh, you. You get to see my illusion of success completely destroyed by <laughs> coming to my humble little studio apartment. 
And I I had a dentist appointment today, and my guest Chris today was understanding enough to push back things a little bit, but half of my face is still completely numb. I'm sure I sound <laughs> fine, but I feel like I'm having a stroke. And so if I if I happen to sound a little off today, listeners, it doesn't mean I'm back on the sauce. Um, it, it's uh, it just means that my mouth is still a little screwed up from some uh some uh i had a cavity oh no yeah you know it it happens Mm -hmm. and uh we we all work to better ourselves in various (laughs) ways now this is i'm gonna floss for like a month i think after the dentist appointment i'm like yeah flossing's important i'm always really good at flossing yeah right after the dentist and, and then, then I, it falls yeah, apart yeah. yeah no one likes the floss and got a water pick though i'm Ooh, trying out fancy. the water pick oh give me a gadget and i will buy <laughs> a gadget happily i am i am a sucker for gadgets uh also recording in front of my my new gadgets all these sound screens all this fancy oh what a fancy setup i have huh isn't it so <laughs> it's pretty neat i'll take a we should take a picture for instagram so oh can yeah see all right let me introduce my guest my goodness uh she's is a consultant, a sex researcher, uh, and author of the book, Sexual Decisions, The Ultimate Teen Guide. And you have so many different things going on with your life. It's very impressive. Yeah. A lot of academics have like one very finely tuned thing, and that's their thing, and they're just going hard at that one specific thing. And here you are. You're writing it. You have some new book about karaoke. Oh, yeah. Coming out. Let's, let's plug that. This, <laughs> This is before we get into the science. Let's have a little fun plug the karaoke book. What's it about? Yeah. So my goal in life for a very long time was to sing karaoke in all 50 states. And then out of tragedy um, comes opportunity. My best friend passed away two years ago and she kind of inspired me to take a road trip. So I drove across America and sang in the lower 48 in about three months. And so the book's about me uh, recognizing and honoring my friend, but also really a lot about just what's it like to be in a karaoke bar in Alabama versus Michigan versus Oklahoma. Oh my goodness, they're going to make a movie about this book. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> that yeah. is, I didn't ask you enough about I was like, oh sure, we'll plug your care. I didn't know there was a whole beautiful backstory behind it. And and what's the name again? It'll be, it's One Nation Under Song, and it's due out in early October or mid-October, somewhere in there. Fantastic. So that's one of of, uh, of two books that people can check out of yours. And, and yeah. also, uh, you started a new consultant business, yeah. um, beyondthetalk.net yes. for listeners to check out. What, what is, what's that all about? So that's really geared towards the idea that a lot of adults really were failed when it came to sex education in their lives. And now they're tasked with talking to their kids about sex and sexuality when they're not even sure Ooh. they're you know talking about talking to each other people we're who were such a good conversation yeah. today <laughs> yeah <laughs> Great. but yeah so beyond the talk is is in its nascent stages and it's really just trying to get people to feel comfortable with their own values and sex and sexuality in order to then have better conversations with people that are close to them 
Oh, man. My poor, awkward Midwestern parents who meant so well. And my mom attempted to have a sex talk with me when I think I was around 20 years old. (laughs) So it was a bit like I had a brother who was like 11 at the time. And that was like more of a suitable age for the talk that my mother wanted to have. These are hard things to talk about, especially when... They've been hard for a long time, so the people that taught you had a hard time doing it, and and yeah. uh, and it's uh, it's one. Of, you, you don't um, do you, do you meet people out there that are like, well, my parents just nailed it when they came to the, when it came to the sex talk, and so I just knew what I was doing when I was a teenager. <laughs> I had it all figured out because my my parents had just the most perfect sex talk you could imagine and the whatever school and education system that I was at just just crushed it have you ever met anyone a f- very few and far between but i think one of the key things is that uh, those were people whose parents recognized that the whole notion of the talk like having it one time and then whew, it's over you don't have to worry about it anymore i think that some of the misconception is it's more smatterings of conversation and opportunities just here and there so it's a little bit more normal and natural i think is really Mm. one of the keys and then i think the other type of people will have who have better experiences uh there one of the parents was like a nurse or something and so the nurse was sort of used to talking about stuff and being pretty matter of fact and there'd be books all over the you know lying around the house and things like that so it wasn't sort of a hidden taboo subject yeah, plus the the nurses seeing all these STDs and pregnancies, but also like viewing it as in this almost sterile way because it's their job and what. Yeah. So there's like a little bit of a detachment there, yeah. and it's not as a kind of emotionally driven, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but that what what an interesting. So I guess that's the now now it's clicking into place a little more of what the beyond the talk. So right. So that is uh, that is the the. Building up this big event, this unveiling of the talk. Here it is, kids. We're going to give you all of the information. It's going to be hard. No one's going to like it. And then afterwards, whew. Yeah, we never have to do this again. We're done. Yeah, that's ideally not what we would like to support uh, because it really is helpful to have those little conversations along the way because also if you are all mentally and emotionally prepared to have this big talk and then all of a sudden your child is would rather look at their phone or just isn't in the mood or rolls their eyes and, and says you know forget it then you feel like you kind of failed and you missed your chance mm-hmm. we're you're going to mess up like these conversations whether it's with your child or with a partner or whoever they're gonna go awry every once in a while i mean that's just the way it goes and so seeing it as this one big only chance to do something it's a little unforgiving and i think we really want to have more of a chance to let people know it's okay to mess up to be nervous for it not to go as well as you wanted because there's another there's another time and another chance Mm. yeah so uh so i'm not sure exactly which direction i have three Okay. ideas in mind of where to start this conversation so and, and i'll let you talk uh, I'll, I'll let you pick since you're the expert i'm also not 
a great host. I um <laughs> I I'm not I'm not a host in a traditional sense. Like I don't really steer the ship and take a lot of control over the conversation. I like to have it be a little more of a I I like to let you guide a little bit if if uh if need be. And this mm-hmm. is like man, this is I've never had a talk about the talk before and right. so as you can imagine this is a little nerve-wracking <laughs> and terrifying for me. Right. Fortunately, this is just 45 minutes where we're going to have the talk about the talk. Right. And then, whew, it'll be done. Uh, so I, I've, I've three, three things that I would kind of like to uh, hit on. One is, uh, it, so I don't know if, if this is the way to start or the way to end, which is like, what's the ideal world look like of of when those people those rare circumstances that you saw like what what does what do those kind of conversations sound like and what are they uh, how is their approach working so effectively um or in some cases maybe they're just also just lucking out mm-hmm. um and then uh and then on the on the far end uh, on the other opposite end i would like to know about and maybe this is a better way to start i would like to know about uh what is uh just the the worst stuff that's that's going on the the worst kind of the maybe these idealized abstinence practices that are that are failing miserably in a number of ways or what's kind of the worst of the public or private uh, sex ed uh, school system, and then, uh, and then there's there there's uh, kind of a middle ground of what is what is the reality of kind of where we are right now, and what can we do to just nudge things just a little bit toward the direction of maybe that ideal world where everyone's very comfortable. Where do you think is a good starting place? I don't know. I, I don't have your book, so normally I just kind of look through a table of contents and go and go. Okay, well I'll just start where they started. Yeah, uh, but uh, it all but, yeah. starts with puberty. That's so, where you would be starting. You know what? I'll I'll take control of the ship. Then I was gonna I was gonna throw you the ball, but uh, let's start with uh, let's start with. I think it's more fun to talk about all of the things that go wrong okay. because this is something yeah. that I can relate to. Okay quite a bit right um i'll I'll say something that may have gone right uh, and and see what you think about this okay because you might you might have a totally different so something that definitely stuck with me from sex ed was the slideshow of the real gross horrible stuff that seems like me if i'm just consciously reporting about something that had an effect on on maybe making me sexually a bit more responsible those those slideshows but then then i being in an intellectual way as someone who's read research about uh you know the effectiveness of of putting like black lungs on a cigarette pack or whatever some of these things aren't as useful as as you would intuitively maybe think so so let's start with where where are things going wrong in your view okay so the slideshow is an example of way things go wrong and one of the really well a couple of reasons are is because usually those slideshows are showing a very graphic advanced stage of of a sti so that does a few Ah. things one is if 
a person then looks at their own genitals and says, well, I don't have a big cauliflower growing on it. I'm sure it's fine. You know, I just have this little <laughs> sore, right? Oh, right. Then oh, it's not... I've never thought about that. So they're only doing the worst case scenarios to scare the bejeebies out right. of you. But the reality mm. is, if an STI, and this is sort of the other problem, is some STIs are asymptomatic, so show no symptoms right. 80 to 90% of the time. So... If you look down there and it's not all blistery yeah. and it's not that, then everyone thinks, "Oh, I'm good." Well, my genitals haven't exploded yet, right? So, so I should be good to go, <laughs> right. right? So that's a problem. Yes, that is a very. And there's big there's even some brain research too that has sort of documented, and you were alluding to the black lung pictures, right. and but um, I'm thinking also of those. I can't remember what they call them, like the red road or something with the drunk driving. That certain people who are more prone to risk taking, mm -hmm. they actually get intrigued by this idea that they're flirting with danger. So not only then are you miseducating people on what STIs really look like if they even have symptoms, but you're also then making people who are more prone to taking risks and sort of on a daredevil, some of them actually might be more intrigued to sort of see what could happen. Or they like the idea that this activity then has even more danger associated with it and it becomes sort of appealing to them. So <laughs> yeah, not to right. get the, to you know, they don't want the exploding genitals with cauliflower, right. but they like the idea of, ooh, if I do this, it's dangerous. Like I'm taking yeah, a risk. Yeah. Oh, I should do that more. Right? I mean, there is a... Speaking of reality, there is definitely uh, something very arousing about unprotected sex with a stranger. There is something very, very arousing about that risk-taking thing for... Certainly for people, I've, I've experienced that excitement before, and that is... It's part of why these problems occur. It's part of why these sneaky little diseases are so successful and and have a, a, evolved so so well is because there's uh, there is this tremendous amount of uh, of of cost involved um, of STDs or unwanted pregnancies and and there man there is just something <laughs> about that that makes it exceptionally arousing yeah well and it also takes away this notion of the sex ed being very focused on you should do this you should not do that is doesn't fit really humans brains never mind an a teenager's brain they don't want to be told what they should and shouldn't do. They want to make decisions for themselves and they want to have information that they can sort of take away and make a good decision out of. The other piece it does is it takes out the whole context of when a sex, you know, a sexual encounter is taking place. So there's a lot of emotions going on and hormones and things like that. And it's not that young people are incapable of making a good decision. They are. But if all we've done is sit there and say, you should or shouldn't do that, we're not respecting their autonomy. We're not respecting their social, I don't want to say status, but their social negotiations and their abilities to really navigate decisions by themselves. We're not showing them the kind of respect or reasons why people you know 
might make better decisions than other decisions if all we're doing is saying you shouldn't do that. Mm. That's bad. You should do this instead. Well, what about this is going to sound like a very radical idea to yeah. a lot of people, maybe even you, I don't know. But what what if, you know, I would have paid a whole lot more attention in sex ed if they also would have like given a couple tips as to like how to make things just a little less awkward. Maybe I would have paid a little more attention because it would have been a more honest conversation. And and even if it would, I, I mean, I'm not like... Uh, someone doesn't necessarily need to uh, need to be teaching like some swirl yeah. <laughs> technique or something like that necessarily, but but uh, I, I mean I I think to get it out of your head of like you know you might see a porn and they're like doing this wheelbarrow position and the reality of that position is that it's not terribly pleasurable for anybody and that's like really not how anyone actually has has sex because i think part of the insecurities end up leading to a lot of problems uh whereas you might end up being like well i'll just like uh end up i i have no idea what the female perspective is like but i can imagine a female being like well this older guy seems to like know what he's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I can get experience this way. That's, I mean, it was kind of like that for, for me from a male perspective as well. Whereas if I would have just had a hair more confidence going into it, maybe I would have, um, maybe I would have been able to like make my own decisions a little more rather than just trying to like leave it in the hands of a more experienced person. I don't know. You know what I'm Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. One is you're right. One of the things that we can't talk about in sex ed in schools is that sex is pleasurable, right. which is one of the main, if not the main reason that people engage in sex. Sometimes it's to procreate, but most of the time it's not where we hope pro, you know, we hope conception doesn't happen. We, mm -hmm. you know, we have oral sex or anal sex or do other things that will not lead to a pregnancy. If you're, and that's obviously a very heteronormative or, you know, heterosexual way of looking at things, but, you know, people engage in activities that don't get themselves pregnant and people have sex with people that make pregnancy not possible so people masturbate right people masturbate so all of that but we've although taken... I, I think i like to think that i've impregnated a lot of ghosts maybe <laughs> Who I don't, knows? that's that's beyond my scientific <laughs> expertise we'll have to you'll have to find another guy to tell you about whether the <laughs> <Yeah>. paranormal <laughs> pregnancies are possible um but yeah so we take this narrative of pleasure out and so we're left with reproduction and disease mm -hmm. as uh, the main narratives of sex ed oh and of course don't do it at all until you're married but now they're even having controversy about that because of the marriage equality acts so now some more conservative sexuality educators are saying oh wait no we didn't mean marriage because now Marriage can be between two people of any genders, so we don't like that either. So they're backpedaling on that. Right. So, yeah, we can't talk about pleasure. I remember this one time I taught, this was in the early 90s, so right when the AIDS HIV epidemic was going on. And so we weren't teaching, we weren't doing sex education, we were doing HIV prevention. And that's just sort of that 
mm. jargon you use to sneak under the radar sometimes. And I think the only pleasure narrative we sort of snuck in was talking about using lube. Mm. Um, but we put it under the guise of if you use a little lube, the condom's less likely to tear. And of course, that makes it safer. But then we would also sneak in that it actually then feels better. Yeah. And so you that's another incentive for you to to use that. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's another whole ordeal with the the private systems and these kind of uh different religious schools and everything that can kind of do whatever their own bizarre. Well public schools narrative. are doing it too. I mean public yeah. schools have a lot of well, it used to be called abstinence until marriage education, but now they uh rebranded themselves under the name of sexual risk avoidance. Because who doesn't want to avoid a sexual risk, right? right? It's sort of this idea of, so it seems more appealing. People have learned that abstinence uh, programming is not abstinence-based. I mean, telling people to wait is an option. Some people want to wait. That's totally and perfectly fine. Uh, telling them that it's your only option until you are in a marriage between now a man and a woman is not fine to send as your message yeah well and then and then when you do you're so now you're married now you're you're going to have sex only when the female is at her most fertile right and that's the only time and then and when you do do it yeah gosh darn it you better you better not enjoy it you better yeah. <laughs> it better be right. just as mechanical as possible and like it, it, i know it might start to feel good but if you can push that the, any of those positive feelings out of your head because this is strictly business yeah the cynical uh saying among a, a lot of educators is you know sex is dirty save it for someone you love you know this idea of you, you right. beat the fear and the and the you know, the filth or the impurity of sex into young people for so long. And then all of a sudden it's like, now it's supposed to be this beautiful moment between you and this person that you love. And, and it's, you know, and then of course it's going to go sideways uh, and not in a good way. (laughs) So, you know, that's, it doesn't make any sense. So, well, well, let's say, uh, let's say I'm going to play devil's advocate here and and we're going to, uh, let's say the bare minimum that we're going to do as uh, as sex educators. And, and uh, let's say we're, we're all kind of going to agree that maybe teenage sex isn't just... It, inherently, it's just not the safest stuff out there. It's not that, you know, the, the these kids, they don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed and they're not quite the best decision makers yet in this... This sex stuff can lead to these, uh, can have these pretty high consequences. And so, you know, we don't quite know what we're doing here. But if, if, we, if we can get them, if, if through scaring them or whatever else, if we can get them to be abstinent, the, at least through those teen years, and maybe it passes the buck to the, uh, the, uh, the college or, or, or whatever else, at least, at least that way they're a little older and, and a little m- more mature. So, so we're going to institute this, this abstinence training well does this stuff even work like is if if you teach abstinence and and say say that's what you want to do and you want to just scare the crap out of kids does scaring the crap out of them even work does it even lead to more abstinence no so several things one is fear-based education doesn't work it doesn't work in smoking or drunk driving or sex or anything the other piece is that 
sort of counterintuitively, the more you are open and honest about sex and sexuality, the more access to good information you give somebody uh, when they're young, the chances to learn and understand the the actual the they postpone their sexual involvement so they actually end up having sex later the more comprehensive the sexuality education is and then the third sort of part is is that we're sort of taking out in the narrative i'm hearing you say we're taking out the whole idea of just relationships Mm -hmm. and having that relationship education in there and teaching people to respect each other and listen to their boundaries and their wants and their needs and and I don't even mean just sexual ones. I mean, just setting up a relationship and negotiating those boundaries in terms of how often do we talk to each other? What is a safe uh, amount of time to spend together? When, what are the warning signs if a relationship is starting to become controlling or unhealthy? Uh, all those things are part, to me, part of sexuality education that get missed if all you're doing relationship education my goodness that that should be like how is not everyone talking about like just as i hear it i'm like oh my god that is what the world needs is relationship education i'm sorry that i cut you off no it's totally fine well oregon just passed a few years ago uh their sex ed policy they revised it and they mandated that healthy relationships is a part of sexuality education here in the state of oregon So Oregon does have one of the most progressive sex ed laws in the country. And one of the things that makes it progressive is that it's healthy relationships. Education is mandated within it. Uh, It's also because it's mandatory. You have to teach sex ed in schools and that it be inclusive of all uh, young people, regardless of their sexual orientation and gender identity. And so those are the three big pieces of the sex ed policy that, make Oregon a state that I'm really proud to be a part of the the sex ed in. Mm. What do you think? We talk about evolutionary psychology and biology a lot on on this program. What do you think about interjecting a little bit of that in there and and teaching kids about how, uh, you know, we we might have evolved these different strategies over time and we might be these kind of flexible um, creatures that might have all sorts of different strategies and preferences, but there might be reasons why there are some of these normative uh, there's this like kind of push and pull between an individual and any relationship at all might might be trying to you know get get a little more uh, um, kind of leverage in a given relationship or or gain a little more from a given relationship from the other partner. And this is something that as adults, we all have to learn over time that what what your needs and wants as an as a individual aren't necessarily the, the exact needs and wants and, uh, and perfectly compatible with the other person, no matter what relationship, no matter what age group or sexuality or anything else. And that's, and that's another big aspect of, of life is kind of managing and building these, uh, you know, I, I've been seeing my girlfriend for over three years now. And especially over time, we just become more and more of a team and we understand more and more of, of, uh, like our quirks and when um, the 
things about one another that drive each other crazy and when one of us is asking too much from the other person and and that's sort of, that it's just like because there's home ec is is about the closest thing to that like you're gonna need to know how to like cook and do dishes and stuff when you're older like yeah that is actually a, a part of the reality uh, of life but uh but man, the, yeah, the the whole relationship training thing that is that's. Uh, but where do you going back to my question of? Do you think that uh, are you into evolutionary psychology, biology? Do you think it fits into this puzzle at all? I I haven't thought about it in the context. So what I'm saying now is relatively off the cuff. But my my initial reaction is not so much for a couple of reasons. One is I think a lot of the gender roles are important to discuss but i think a lot of that has to do with how we're socialized in addition to i recognize that only certain bodies can get pregnant i recognize that only certain bodies have sperm in them and Mm -hmm. will contribute to a pregnancy in that direction but there's so much more to it than oh these people are driven because of this hormone level or because these body, this body gets pregnant, the mind associated with it is going to act in this certain way. I think it's way oversimplifying the whole notion of sexuality and relationships. And right. I'd rather focus on looking at relationships and equality and talking about that. You mentioned things like cooking and the dishes. That's yeah. not, it's not evolutionary that the traditional female role is the cook and the dishwasher that's not that's evolution didn't do that our socialization right. did that and i think having those conversations and challenging gender roles is is an important component of why we see certain people as in power more than others mm-hmm. yeah mm, well just curious what your yeah. take was on yeah it. no thank um, you for asking yeah oh <laughs> I don't think there's anything simplifying about evolutionary biology personally, yeah. but uh, I, I think it's an endlessly complicated subject and people do right. sometimes overly simplify it and think that right. they're saying this or that about a given gender yeah. role and assigning like right or wrong to something and that's not at all what it's doing. But that's my take on it. Bet MGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 money line wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA, and there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. But I do absolutely love the idea of preparing people for relationships and and. I mean, what do you, it, but how do you, okay, so you have this progressive system in Oregon where they're talking about healthy relationships, but yeah. also there is, um, there's also the idea of, uh, you know, dating and having short term and mm-hmm. even one night stands where this is, 
this is a uh, not not that everyone needs to have a one night stand, but but figuring out what our given preferences actually are in in the practical once we once we start feeling things out and, and figuring out what we actually you, you know what you uh, uh, when you're when you go into puberty and uh, like I remember watching Baywatch yes. you know when I when I was a young man and thinking like well this is the, the ideal woman is Pamela Anderson this is what I I need to find you know this life a lifeguard <laughs> that with this perfect body and all that and then you find out later on in life that uh that the things the the aspects of a person's uh, uh of a person that you're compatible with is uh sometimes very different than what is displayed on on television and but it takes a lot of kind of trial and error in relationships to do that but how do you i mean convincing um people to talk about one night stands in any in any way that is is uh not like the most terrible light possible seems um seems like a hard sell so you don't trying know to find what I'm it I'm, right now. I'm trying to find it right. one of the things that we're sex ed is focusing on is this idea of you know consent and not and not only the consent component of it's a per, one person's responsibility to say yes or no but it's really the another person's responsibility to hear yes or no and so it's it's a shift it's a cognitive shift between the sort of one person being a gatekeeper and to a relationship or a boundary or you know whether to have sex or not it and it's shifting the blame for from that person to really focusing on the other person making sure somebody hears what a lot of people will call the enthusiastic yes mm-hmm. so it's it's not ne- it's not necessarily science based but it's a really huge cognitive shift in the way we're approaching sex ed for so long we had these very standard role play scripts which of course then also took all the emotional informational like it the emotional processing out of sex in the heat of the moment so this is where i think biology plays a big role we have there's hormones there's desires there's body I mean, the orgasm responses is an, is an evolved response oh yeah 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 <laughs> right exactly yeah even so, if it's used in in many different scenarios that yeah. it may not have quote unquote been built for which isn't even built for isn't even a thing anyway absolutely so all of that's happening and for so long and still to some extent a lot of our sex ed is based in this idea that we are just going to say like practice saying no and a Mm. lot of that was it was it wasn't practice hearing yes it wasn't practice saying yes it was just let's all practice saying no right and that's just not a reality at all when you are looking at again i i really think there's a lot of stuff coming up very slowly but this idea of how do we put neuroscience into our sex ed and how we actually make decisions in very emotional situations we mm-hmm. don't make it in a in a vacuum there's all these contexts that are happening and and those things are real so right all right, I'm going to put you in charge of sex education for the for the entire. Con- Let's just say 
the state of Oregon. We're, we're going to start you off slow. We're okay. not, it, it seems like you got a lot of potential here, but we're <laughs> not, before, before we give you control over the whole nation's sexual education, so mm-hmm. we're going to start in Oregon and you get free reign to do whatever you want. And this will be our little, Oregon will be our little experiment. Uh, what, what's like an idealized um, version of what sex education actually looks like? Well, the first thing I would do, and this is not a cop out, this is honestly what I would do, is I'd want to assemble a team of people to to figure that out. And among those people are going to be the young people themselves to see what are the questions they have and what they want to know. I'd want to make sure that social media is integrated into sexuality education, as well as healthy relationships and other things, because it's not that the sex happens in this one isolated place or incident. It happens in the context of all these other relationships that are going on and all these webs of, like I was saying, the social media, uh, media like television and film and the messages we get there, uh, messages we get from parents and other adults, the things that are being said on the news these days, all of that, I think, needs uh, to be addressed. So talking about media literacy and social media literacy and um, I'm trying to think of other components, but healthy relationships, addressing dating sites, dating sites. Oh yeah, exactly. So, well, this is, I mean, the kind of some of the importance of getting kids feedback is they might know a whole lot more of the, uh, about the environment that they are living in than the generation ahead of them does because things have just changed dramatically with say something like the wow when i was a teenager you'd have to wait for five minutes to get a picture of pamela anderson to down <laughs> and and now any kid can go up and find porn uh, quite yeah. easily anywhere mm-hmm. that's just a reality it is um and uh and now there's all sorts of dating apps there's social media uh that, that people are using and this is i mean i've never once online dated and so i'm maybe not the best person to ask about how to uh, how to instruct kids on how to use a dating app more effectively or what to be aware of on a dating app and this is this is just through every generation there's going to be things that kids are experiencing that is unique to their generation's environment and even then i i have online dated but it was before tinder and it was before some of these other different types and styles of apps come out and also i am not what people call a digital native there was no internet and social media thank goodness when i was a kid i think i do not think i would have managed it well or handled it well I didn't grow up with those things, and I was, so I wasn't pressured to use them, and I wasn't pressured to do anything uh, with them, whether it's literal pressure from a peer or internal pressure or just the general societal pressure to engage in those ways to meet people or learn about them. It's It's just, it is different. And so talking about dating and meeting people and all that, it is it is different now. Uh, there are some similarities, but the differences need to be honored and they need to be sort of considered by people both like me, you know, the old farts, as well as those who grew up with it and, and get it more. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that even because uh, I because I think of the social media kind of shaming that happens with the new generation, the bullying and whatnot. But that that's just another important aspect of uh, th- there are these kind of commonalities in ways that get expressed in different ways in different environments like jealousy has always existed um uh, you know throughout human history there's been jealousy throughout human history there's been kind of some social costs involved with like people might gossip about this and that person being Mm -hmm. with such and such there there was always some amount of cheating and trust involved in any relationship and these are all things that don't don't get talked about in the, uh in in school in any way and these are that's that's a lot of and that's not even a positive thing that's not even talking about like hey i know it's kind of scary to talk about how sex feels good and tell kids you don't want to tell kids that sex feels good but even things like that the jealousy and cheating and and negative things that that would maybe make someone uh think twice before entering in a relationship willy-nilly aren't being talked about so there's just such a limited picture being being given yeah and there there is and there's a lot of reasons for that some is we just don't know the science the evidence behind what is the most effective way to look at those things i mean that's part of it the others are but why not say that why not tell kids that you know like well, that'd be nice here, yeah. here are some things here are some consider we don't know yeah. like that's something that you didn't hear i didn't hear a lot of authority figures saying when yeah. i was growing up like we actually don't know the science isn't in yet here's some things that seem to be an issue that seem to have causes and effects we don't know what those causes and effects are necessarily how they're connected and what's driving them yeah but they're a thing that mm-hmm. seem relevant, and it's it's just it, when I was growing up, it just seemed like this is the way it is, and don't uh, you don't really question it, and it, it was also just like this small little sliver of of what was actually going on in the given in in my life, you know. It wasn't. I think for most people, it's just not the sex ed uh, class is just not representative of the reality that they live in yeah i mean i think the science that we have for the evidence base of sex ed is that abstinence until marriage has been shown to be ineffective what we call comprehensive sex education which includes discussions is not fear-based includes discussions of contraceptive methods uh is effective but not largely effective so yes it we are able to devise curricula that can postpone sexual involvement uh, increase safer sex practices when sex uh, takes place but it's not 100 percent. obviously it's not a we can't promise that every person is going to make a decision that is healthy for their sex and sexuality every time we know that's not true so there's no we don't know what's going to be 100%, So, but we do know that if you give young people information and give them a chance to apply it to their lives in the sense of not necessarily now go out and have sex and figure out what this is like, but telling them how to maybe think of ways to use it in conversations or do give them a chance to practice a little bit so it feels a little bit more comfortable to even say the words or talk about sex or think about relationships and getting them to think about that we do know that those things help them 
uh, in the immediate and later in life to just be happier in that part of their lives. Mm. Um, so what, what age you must get asked this uh, a lot. What, what age is appropriate to start? I mean, should we, you think we should uh, maybe skip all the stork talk and, uh, and have some more honest conversations early on when, when it's, when a kid's asking where do babies come from? Mm-hmm. Is that, is that something that we should be changing as well? I would love that to go away. I think some of the, a lot of people get really scared when we talk about sex education is a lifelong process. So both on the older adult side, but then also with children. And then they say, well, I don't want my kid learning about sex when they're in kindergarten, but sex education in kindergarten are things like naming the body parts the right names. So calling it a penis, calling it the vulva, not the the PP or the down there or mm-hmm. things like that. Just being, these are body parts. These are your body parts. Uh, other things that are really part of sex education are things like there are all different kinds of families. So having a young person or everybody in a class just drawing who they consider their family and recognizing and honoring, look how different. This family's got five people in it. This family has an auntie living in it. This family has two dads. This family has a mom, a child, and a dog, whatever. Like it's just, those are the different families. And just seeing that there's no one way to have a family I think is really powerful and sets up a lot of lessons to be learned later. Mm-hmm. Also things like it's okay if you are a boy and like wearing pink. It's okay if you're a girl and you want to be like a truck driver. There's sort of looking at those things and just being like, it's fine. Well, truck driving is going to be autonomous in 20 years. I'm well, that's just, true. I'm just yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. That's a very, that's a dead end job. Don't encourage anyone to do that. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> but I know exactly what oh, you're Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so that that raises uh, an interesting... So someone listening to this podcast, a parent listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. can make this change today. They can start having these conversations today. They can, they can get your book and start changing their lives, their children's lives in their specific home. Right. Then their kid goes to school and is in the environment that is what we live in right now, which isn't as advanced and, and progressive maybe, and is still having these kind of abstinence and stork talk. And, and there's a little bit of like, well, do you, just because you don't teach your kid about Santa Claus and you have, and you're honest with them about Santa Claus, what do you tell your kid about the other kid? They're going to go to school. Do you let your kid ruin Santa Claus for all the other uh, kids? How how does it, what, what do you, what does a parent tell their, they've done it. They, they, they nailed the, the continued beyond the talk and they're, they're just nailing everything. But you know, what about their kid now interacting with these kids that, aren't as fortunate to have parents that have read your book? It's a good question. I'm I'm not really sure what the sort of repercussions are of learning truths. You might get right. a parent who felt that it was not 
it was not the right time for their child to learn about it, but it's also... This kid's talking about penises and vulvas right. on, the, on the playground. And then this other kid just like dropped the F-bomb, and my right. kid wasn't really ready to hear that either, right? So I, there's just right. sort of a... We live in a society, and there's other people, and so right. sometimes things happen, you know, or I wasn't prepared for my child to learn about death, but they're their hamster died or their best friend's grandfather died. I, I mean, it's just, it's not, we, you know, we can control some things, but not, not everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's, it, it is a challenge. And I think one of the things that a parent really, you know, needs to explore first is what are their own beliefs or, and their own experiences they had with sex ed and, and what are they comfortable and not comfortable with and sort of those realities too before they launch into a conversation. So Halloween's kind of coming up, but so asking when, especially this might be a teenager question, a teenager, you can say, you know, why do you think that these, like, why do you think there's sexy Halloween costumes? Like, what's the point of that? You can maybe engage in a conversation there, or you can ask, you know, in the younger ages, you can let a daughter be Spider-Man or a boy be Wonder Woman and the world's not going to fall apart. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. It might. It might mean the child is navigating their own gender role or gender identity, but it it just means that that kid just wants to be a, a that their favorite superhero for a day or a caterpillar or whatever. Uh, you know, sorry yeah. if you have to sew something complicated, but <laughs> other right. than that, like trying to have these conversations and let people be who they want to be for a, a night on Halloween. And then as the kids get older, maybe talk about why they think that there's like such a high level of sexualization of, of costumes. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I bust out my sexy caterpillar costume this yeah. Halloween and walk around the neighborhood, there's going to have to be some conversations <laughs> about, <laughs> there, there, there's going to have to be some debriefing around the neighborhood. They're just going to throw happened. like a little piece of candy out their door and, <laughs> and shut it. <laughs> so, so what, who's your book for? What, what's, is this, for who's going to benefit the most from reading your book? Is it is this for teenagers? It is. Is this for parents? It's for it's targeted for teenagers. It's like targeted. I said, I have sorry, I, I haven't had a chance to read it. Totally yet, but, fine. Yeah. Uh it is for teenagers. It's uh the book's it's available on Amazon and the like, but it's a hardcover book. It's mostly marketed to schools and school libraries as like a supplemental book for education. I I like it because I I mean I like to think I like things that I write but um, because it does that has a nice balance between the relationships uh, topic as well as some anatomy and some practical biology things and contraceptives but it also talks about how you may not want to model your relationship off of Twilight or mm-hmm. Fifty Shades of Grey mm-hmm. and I mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey in the book because. Young people are reading or have been reading books like that. Yeah, yeah you're really going to date yourself. I know, right. I know. That's why I'm laughing because it, it came out in early 2018 and they still were looking at books like that and similar. And that's the thing is like, and the movies are still coming out. Yeah, they're still making sequels. Right. Or and it. they're not, I mean, never mind the poor sentence structure in those books. Like we should be protecting our 
young people from those as well. <laughs> but <laughs> right, right. protective from bad grammar. <laughs> so yeah, uh it's it's one of those cases where we want to talk about those kinds of of things that again bringing it back to sex being pleasurable or what is sexy or what is alternative what are our our alternative sexual behaviors. Uh, young people know those exist. Like mm-hmm. it's not maybe it's not the place in school to talk about it, but having some resources is helpful um, to make sure a young person's getting good information as opposed to learning what sex is or isn't supposed to be like from, you know, porn tube. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> porn tube, such a great educator. Porn, yeah. <laughs> porn tube. So if people go to uh, beyondthetalk.net, who's that kind of targeted towards? That is, so again, the website has our email. It also has a picture of me and my business partner. It doesn't have a lot else it's, uh, right now. So be patient with us. We uh, we have together, the two of us have over well over, oh gosh, 30, 35 years of being in sex ed in schools and and talking to people about it and all these uh all these other things but you're really going to find just a sense of who we are what our philosophies are our beliefs are in approaching this and a a couple of presentations we have given in the past to uh health educators and and other people working with young people is what what you see on that for now we're hoping to develop an app for parents mostly for middle school and teenage uh parents to uh, that would give them a question of the week. So back to this notion of beyond the talk that we should have ongoing conversations. And so we're seeking funding for that now. So it'll be uh, it'll be a little bit, but our our goal is to have this app so parents could once a week have a question that um, they could ask their child and then provide the parent with resources about the the topic in case they don't really know. And um, some questions that the parents should ask themselves to encourage them to really understand what their own beliefs are mm-hmm. about it before they launch into a conversation with somebody else. It's sometimes a good idea to know what you believe first. Yeah, I mean, I got my sex education from other uh, boys my same age, like that were like <laughs> that's who I like learned about sex from, and that was uh, when you're a 14 year old boy. Other 14-year-old boys, not the greatest resource for information, I'm really believe surprised it or not. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so this is, this is just like the, any parent should know that. Do you, do you want your 14-year-old learning about this stuff from other 14-year-olds? But wouldn't it be really? so cool, back to the, your, one of your first questions about like the ideal stuff, wouldn't it be super cool if all of a sudden... They were informed. Everybody actually did have intelligent right. conversations. Now, mind you, I, I still think sex should be fun and talking about it can be fun and funny. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always have to be super serious. But how amazing would it be if most of the stuff they talked about was accurate and respectful, but still f- fun? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kind of neat. Yeah. So you have a question of the week. I uh, hopefully with your app. I have a charity of the week on mm-hmm. the, on the podcast. I have my guest name a charity of their choice. Which one would you like to plug? I would like to plug uh, Oregon Safe Schools and Communities Coalition, OSSCC, and their mission is to make schools safe for all young people, and their focus is on young people of different sexual orientations and gender identities. 
in Oregon. And they do a lot of really good work uh, looking into the more rural communities where there just aren't as many resources and places of support. Mm. And that is what they do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Chris. Actually, do, do you have any other, you need to plug anything else? What, what's the name of the karaoke book? One more time. Oh, uh, One Nation Under Song, My Journey Through Grief, Joy, and America. Fantastic. Well, thank Thanks. you so much for joining me Thanks. today this was and fun. driving over. I usually have to go to my, my guest's place and, and you volunteered to come over here. Made my life so much easier. Yes. I very much appreciate it. I appreciate what you do and the conversation that we had. And uh, yeah, let's, let's hope for a better world through better sex education. Yay, together. thank you. Terrific. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. On the show next week, I'm talking with Steven Sylvester. We had this fantastic chat. He's getting toward the end of his career. He's uh, been at it for such a long time. Such an inspiration. We had a we had a fantastic conversation about genes and reproduction and all sorts of fun, interesting topics, and just such a cool guy been at it for so long man uh you you stay sharp you stay active you keep learning and uh and you can age real gracefully as as uh the lesson i learned from this one so um make sure and tune in next week thanks for the support on patreon and and speaking of appreciation thanks for plugging all my shows with stand-up science a few more coming out Des Moines, Portland, Tacoma, and Seattle. And, guys, a special thanks to all of you in the past that have written a review for the Here We Are podcast. I was just looking. I hadn't peeked at it in a while. Sometimes a few weeks go by and I, I don't get a review. and I don't want to just be checking it every day and driving myself crazy. So, uh, so you know, I but uh, they make me feel uh, wonderful. And it makes me feel like what I'm, what I'm doing is important and connecting with people. And uh, I, I love what I do. I would, I would do it for free. But I had, you know, I've, I've had a wild, interesting career and had a lot of breaks, kind of in the standard stand-up realm, like really early on in my career, and uh, decided to kind of take a big chance and start getting into science communication and talking about more interesting things and, and bigger ideas. And it has been challenging, to say the least. And I often wonder, and I love doing this podcast, and I know how interesting this stuff is. And I know how important this stuff is to learn about because I've, I'm learning it. It changes my perception. And that's why I need to share this with you guys. But it's... Uh, <laughs> It's discouraging. Trying to uh, create a more informed world is, uh, as I'm sure many of you recognize, at times frustrating. <laughs> you know, it's there. There's a lot of path of least resistance out there, and um, and a lot of people are kind of stuck in their ways, not really interested in learning anything new, 
and exploring. And so, uh, you know, is there a market for this stuff? How do you reach people? Is can be really hard. And I, and I watched, <laughs> I saw, this happens all the time where I see an old friend of mine who like opened for me years ago when my career was taking off like 11 years ago or whatever. And now they're like hanging out with Seinfeld and I, and I'm seeing their, their incredible like New York condo on, on Netflix or, you know, whatever. And this is just like happens all the time. And it's, I'm very happy for them. And, uh, it, and it's, uh, my goodness, I, I wish more people were into comedy and especially good comedy. And I've made friends with some of the most wonderful comedians out there. And, uh, and I'm also against measuring yourself against others. That is a tricky, endless thing that only leads to disappointment. But I still do, you know, you gotta look around and you gotta see if, you know, what you're doing is, is the right approach. If other people are approaching things differently, better maybe, what, what people are interested in and, and, you know, how, how to connect. And uh, e- even if what I'm interested in with this show is maybe different than what the average person in the population is interested in, I still kind of need to know references, things like that to connect with people. And so I try not to beat myself up about any of, of this stuff, but it, it's, I was just having a day <laughs> where I was just, frankly, I was just looking at just uh, overwhelming, terrifying, like back taxes that I have no idea how I'm ever going to pay and just crippling endless credit card debt and figuring out how I can pay for advertising uh, show stand up science that I don't even know if it's going to work and, and like just going further into debt to quote unquote invest in, in my future and having like failed uh, doing similar things so many times in the past and still like continuing to take risks. I'm like, oh, should I just have stuck with just traditional stand up? people like my first album i still get way more money from my first album than than my last two albums that i tried to do uh science in by a long shot uh, uh, way more money for my very first album than both of those combined and then some and then i i was like you know what i haven't checked my comments in a while on itunes and I almost started crying, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. It was, I saw, I'll just give you, a, there's a review that I saw. That people, you know, people write a nice, uh, <laughs> some people write nice reviews like, this is the best podcast to listen to, Stone. Okay. <laughs> uh, to each his or her own. Um, <laughs> But uh, but uh, then sometimes people go in a little more depth as well, and uh, and this one filled my heart with joy. So um, I, hopefully they're listening and they get to hear how much it meant to me. So they wrote, "I've been listening to a variety of podcasts as of late and stumbled upon this gem about two months ago, and I can't stop listening." Not only does Shane touch base on a wealth of topics, but every episode has been entertaining, informative, and in some cases, eye-opening. 
I don't even bother looking ahead to see what subject is being covered on the next episode because everyone has had great, knowledgeable guests, and no matter the subject, they've been thoroughly engrossing. Excellent job, Shane, and keep up the good work and the good fight for expanding people's horizons in the sciences. My goodness, I needed that. So thank you, everybody that... uh, Every one of you who have uh, ever taken the time to write, and especially writing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and stuff like that, it's not doesn't just make me feel good, but um, all of those reviews are kind of calculated in what gets promoted on iTunes and on Stitcher. So that means more people, the more reviews I have, the more people find it, the more reviews I have, and then and then this this stuff can take off, and it might be. It might be something that in the future you're grinding against a bun- instead of grinding against a bunch of indifference trying to explain to people why these ideas are actually important and having people be like, well, I saw Neil deGrasse Tyson once so I on a Netflix, so I, I know science. And just everything that you, people thinking that it's going to be boring or irrelevant and... and just all of the like the the many clubs that used to work me that have either stopped working me or been reluctant to do it because I want to talk about more interesting things and have more intelligent content and you are bumping up against a whole lot of just drunken let's sell let's try to get people as hammered as possible on overpriced drinks and just do the most middle of the road stuff that hammered people can follow along with and I'm not even saying I I fit in in that world early on in my career you want to have some drinks and have a laugh about nothing I don't blame you at all but there should also be a place where where there's entertainment that you can learn from and done in a cool way and I'm hoping to create that so thank you all very much and you mean a lot to me i feel like things are starting to uh go in a very positive direction and so i wanted to share that with all of you and thank you those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorite thank you